the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Sure. 
share with you today one of the strangest stories in scripture. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Today will not be an easy broadcast for you. It's not for me. Somehow we have to sort through the world, the flesh, and the devil and understand what it means to walk in the Spirit. And we have to know what is the price of the anointing that we pray for. How do we deal with that? Well, let's begin with prayer. Lord Jesus, I come today to this broadcast with a heart full, excited to share this good news, but terrifying news with your people. I pray you'll encourage your people to step forward in obedience to the Word of God. I thank you for each one. For, Lord, I recognize that many don't come and listen because it's it's not pleasant for their ears. It doesn't, it doesn't satisfy their worldly longings. But, oh, Lord, I cry for those who are hungry for you, for those who want more of you, and who are willing to pay the price for the anointing that must come if the gospel work is to be accomplished. Lord, please come now. Please meet us. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I want to make a very bold statement to open this broadcast today. One you may disagree with, and that's all right. I'm simply telling you what the Holy Spirit has told me about the American church. The American church is in full-blown apostasy against Jesus. It has adopted a gospel that is no gospel. It cuts across every denominational line. I remember listening to a a very powerful preacher, an Anglican bishop. He was speaking at a men's breakfast, and I was in attendance. He spoke about Jesus and a, a wonderful story he gave us about Jesus. But when it came down to the end of his message, he pulled the punch, did not talk about obedience, did not talk about repentance, did not talk about the blood, did not talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. Instead, he ended his message on a very flesh-pleasing tone about how wonderful everything was and how, how it was so nice to be a follower of Jesus. He lied to us. He did not tell us the truth. And that's happening all across America. Recently, research was done by the George Barna Institute, and they came forward with the same conclusion. 
He said, the American church is in full apostasy. We'll be speaking about that apostasy this week. Part of it is moral. The American church wants to do things right. They want to be pleasant and kind and nice. They don't want to cause trouble. They don't want to rock the boat. Let's just all get along. Let's be tolerant one of another. So homosexuality is accepted in many denominations. Perversion of every type. Divorce. Abortion. That's all right. Let's just love them. That's not the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus teaches amputation. It's also become therapeutic. That is, everything is about how we feel. It's not about who Jesus is. It's about how we feel. It's self-esteem. It's the old Robert Schuller message of self-esteem. Strategies for success in life. Strategies for feeling good about yourself. If you go to the bookstores, Christian bookstores, you'll find the majority of shelves are loaded with therapeutic books. Psychological books. Not gospel. No call to holiness. No confrontation with sin. And then the American church has adopted a deist position. That is, the American church has made a decision out of practical experience in their lives that God wound everything up. He's there, but he doesn't answer prayer. In other words, you cannot expect to go in the prayer closet and see something dramatically change in the physical realm because you prayed. Well, that's a lie. The reason God doesn't answer prayer is because he will not answer the prayer of a person who is walking in sin unless it's a prayer of repentance. A man this past Sunday asked me, Pastor, will you please pray? And he named what he wanted me to pray for. I said, no, I can't pray for you because I see the sinful behavior you're doing. How can I pray for you for healing in your body? when I see you abusing your body in this way, you have to change the way you're treating your body or Jesus will not answer my prayer for healing in your body. Well, he was quite upset about that. He called me again this morning and said, Pastor, will you pray for me? No, I will not pray for you until you do this and this. That's the word of the Lord to you. You must walk in obedience to the commands of Jesus, or he will not answer your prayers. Well, the church does not want to walk in obedience to the commands of God. It wants to walk being kind and nice and and social and tolerant. It wants to love everybody. It wants to be loved and to have everything poured out on its behalf. It wants Jesus' unconditional love. Well, does the scripture teach unconditional love? Absolutely no. So we're going to look at a story, a very unusual story, and one I've never heard preached on. 
I've never heard it even talked about. I want to read you. It's very short. It's a very brief piece. But it's a stunning piece in the story of Moses. And we're going to continue the study of Moses this week. One person who called me and we spoke together, I asked, how are you responding to what happened in the story of Moses? And their response was, I didn't know all of that about Moses. Can I say something in all mercy and kindness and gentleness to you? Don't be a collector of knowledge. Don't be a collector of knowledge. Be a collector of obedience to the Holy Spirit. And this person does. This person is very obedient to the Holy Spirit, but I see that as a common theme in the American church. Let's collect knowledge. I'm not interested in collecting any more knowledge. I have more knowledge than I can put into practice. You see what I'm talking about? Well, let me read the story, and then we're going to talk about it. It's found in Exodus, the fourth chapter, verse 19. Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand, The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I've given you and the power to do it. In other words, Moses had the staff of God and he had the anointing of God. But now he's going to learn something. Something about the price of that anointing. The Lord said, But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, Let my son go, so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn. Now listen. Verse 24. At a lodging place, on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Now, the very next sentence, the Lord has turned his attention from Moses and has said to Aaron, go into the desert to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Now, let's go back to this strange story. Another occurrence where we see this happening is Balaam, where the Lord 
comes with a sword in his hand to kill Balaam because he is refusing to obey the Lord. In both situations, they were associated with obedience to the word of God. Moses knew that his son should be circumcised in his flesh. But he wasn't. Now, what does circumcision symbolize? What's the meaning of circumcision? It's a covenant. It's a blood covenant. But circumcision is the cutting off of the male foreskin as a sign that the male has no power to bring about the will of God. In other words, Moses is not going to be allowed to go into the Egypt and deliver the people of God with even the slightest indicator that he is operating in his own power. God would rather kill Moses than let him think that he can deliver the children of Israel. Now, Moses has tried delivering the children of Israel before, but he could not do it. The children of Israel turned against him. He killed the Egyptian. And then in a, a Hebrew rebelled against him and said, Are you going to kill me too, like you did the Egyptian? And Moses knew that his attempt to deliver God's people had failed, and he fled, and it took him 40 years in the wilderness herding sheep, being a shepherd, 40 years in the wilderness before he was prepared and humbled sufficiently that God thought he could trust him to go back and deliver the children of Israel. But there was one door open. There was one place where he had not fulfilled the will of God to symbolize cutting off all of his own ability and his own power You've heard this so many times, just as I have. God helps those who help themselves. No, he doesn't. He may kill you. Either this is done by the power of God, or it will be a total failure. Now, we are faced with a task beyond any imagination. And that task is to proclaim the final gospel of the kingdom of God to America. But the American church is in full apostasy. It is not equipped to do the work of God. It is totally dependent on self. It is utterly filled with the pride of man. And we don't have 40 years for God to humble us. So I want to speak very specifically today about the price of the Christian in this issue of circumcision. I want you to understand what I'm talking about. It's not a simple issue. 
Let me read for you Colossians, the second chapter. I'm going to begin in verse 11. In whom we were also circumcised with a circumcision done not of human origin by the stripping off of the body of the flesh in the circumcision done by Christ. In other words, Jesus comes to us, we call this the new birth. And the flesh, the old human nature, is stripped away. We are circumcised. That is the price of the anointing of God on your life. You must be circumcised by Jesus. You must have all self cut off. Verse 12, having been buried with him in the baptism, with whom you were also raised by faith in the working of God, the one having raised him from among the dead, and you being dead in the trespasses of uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him, having shown himself gracious to us with reference to all the trespasses. We must be made alive with Jesus. And this is not something we can do for ourselves. This is literally a work of God's grace in our lives. You can try to break that addiction. It's a demonic stronghold. Either it is done by the power of God or it is not done at all. And you are excluded from the grace of God. Now, there's another passage I want to turn to. Number two. This is Galatians, the fifth chapter. I'll begin at verse 16. Now I say you must walk in the Spirit, and you absolutely cannot follow the lust of the flesh, i.e. fallen nature. Now, the modern church says you always will follow the fallen nature and you can't help yourself, but Jesus has you covered. He gave you by imputing to you his righteousness. So when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees himself. That's a direct contradiction contradiction of the book of Galatians. It's a lie. And it will take you to hell. Listen. Now I say, you must walk in the Spirit, that is, in the anointing of the Spirit. You must absolutely, you cannot follow the lust of the flesh or the fallen nature. Now the flesh lusts or craves or desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. Indeed, these things oppose each other, so that you may not do these things that you may desire. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Early Sunday morning, the Lord gave me a very brief vision. I was lying in bed. I was 
worshiping the Lord as I always do. I take a few minutes when I wake up in the morning to begin to just thank him for a new day, to ask that only his will would be done in my life through that day, to dedicate myself utterly to the work of the Holy Spirit, to ask him to please bless the worship service that was going to be held at 10 that morning. And suddenly, I was given a vision, very brief. I was on the edge of a great abyss, a terrifying abyss. I could not see the bottom. And as you look down into the abyss, you feel a little bit dizzy, like you're going to be pulled over into it. And for about two feet, there was a, a very slippery edge right on the edge of that abyss. You could not stand on it without sliding in and falling. You could not rescue yourself if you stood on it. You would slide into that abyss. And at first, as I stood there looking at it, I said, Lord, am I looking at an abyss? I remembered the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God how Jonathan Edwards described the life of the Christians at that day in his congregation as as right on the edge of the abyss, and they were about to slide in and be taken into hell. I said, Lord, is that my spiritual condition? Are you showing me me? And suddenly, right beside me, I could see, as I looked down at the abyss, I looked my eye just to the right and there stood a man I couldn't see the man all I could see was from his knees down and I immediately recognized the big black boots this man was wearing I had just had a conference with this man and had urged him to leave his alcoholism and turn to the Lord Jesus He has not done that. But I urged him not to drop into the abyss. And I watched as he lifted one foot with one big black boot and he put it on that slippery surface. And then he began to try to lift the other one, but his foot slipped and he immediately pulled back. And then he lifted his other foot and he put it up on that slippery slope and he tried to get a foothold. He wanted to stand right at the edge of the abyss as close as he could without falling in. Several times he tried to stand on that slippery slope and each time he couldn't. And each time he pulled his foot back. And then I was awake out of the vision and I began to cry out for this man and say, Lord, he's like so many Christians. They keep lifting up one foot and putting it on the slippery slope and expecting to stand, but they can't, so they pull it back, and then they step up with the other foot, thinking that it will get a grip, but it can't, so their life is always feeding the flesh and then doing something in the Spirit, praying, reading the Scriptures, trying to do something worthwhile. But then they go right back to the television they go right back to the to the entertainment of the internet they go right back to 
their alcohol, some wicked practice. They go right back to their lust of the flesh. And then they go back and try to go to church, pay their tithe, do some things that might please the Lord. And they go to church and there's no rebuke for their double life. There's no rebuke for their abominations. Seeker-sensitive churches. If you're in a seeker-sensitive church, run, get out of there. Don't stay. It'll take you to hell. One day you'll step up and you'll think you've got a footing on that slippery slope. You'll bring the other foot up and you'll slide right down into hell. Don't do it. I'm pleading with you today. The cost of the anointing is to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. The cost of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the cost of the anointing of God, is to utterly cut off the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, I have a confession. My confession is this, that I've been working, struggling, praying, crying out to God now for a number of years to fully understand and to have identified for me every way in which I perhaps might still be walking in the flesh. I had a an example of that this last week. I've been helping a a pagan couple by helping them financially. And I grew tired in my spirit of helping them financially. Because they don't appear to be making any progress in resolving their situation. They live in an old, old, rickety, rickety van. She is aged, not well. He's also a well-matured man. I want to see some progress. And so the last two weeks... I've more than halved the amount of money I help them with because I've been irritated with them because they don't seem to be making any progress. And then I received a call. And he said, Pastor, could you please help us? We're in desperate need. And immediately the Holy Spirit confronted me and said, help them. So I began to pray about it. And the Lord said, did I tell you to help the poor? Yes. You told me to help the poor. Did I tell you to judge them? No, you did not. Do I help you even when you don't make progress? Yes, you do. 
then go and be generous. So I went and I was generous and I gave them the amount I used to give them. And I rejoiced all the way. I repented for my attitude. I knew it was not my money. It was the Lord's money and I was acting like it was my money. So about 24 hours later, I received another phone call from them. And they said, Pastor, a tire blew on our van. And we had to buy a used tire, and it took all the money that you gave us. And we have nothing to live on till Friday. Could you help us again? I immediately said, Yes, I'll come right now. And I gave them, again, the same generous amount that I'd been giving. And I rejoiced. For the Lord tested me to see if I would cop an attitude again of thinking that they should somehow be changed. Oh, I've invited them to church. They came one time. They never came back. Is that okay? I talked with one one man who said, I don't help people unless they're Christians. And if they smoke, I will not help them. If they drink, I will not help them. I treat them as garbage. Oh, my brother, my sister. My heart goes out to the pagans. And I've had to weep and repent over that fleshly way of dealing with a pagan. My heart is that he would come to Jesus. He's not going to come to Jesus if I'm judgmental toward him. Oh, but he might spend part of that money on on alcohol. Oh, I'm not going to help him. Oh, come on. Who made you judge? No, a man who's an alcoholic, and I know he's going to... I'll buy him food. I'll buy him clothes. I'll do other things to help him. I'm not going to share in his sin of alcoholism. But do you hear what I'm saying? Pagans are not garbage. They're lost souls that Jesus loves. If you ask me what's garbage, I'll tell you, it's somebody who calls themselves a Christian, but they're still insisting in rebellion against the Most High God. They want the anointing of God, but they're unwilling to pay the price. And I've been garbage. And sometimes I'm still garbage. God specializes in taking garbage and making it into something beautiful. Do you hear my heart today? I love Jesus. He's been so, so gracious to me, so kind to me. And by the way, I just need to insert this very quickly. At the end of 
the 30th of July, we were $1,000 short for radio. On the 31st, I went to the post office, and there was a check from a precious sister of ours. I say ours because she's a sister with all of you, too. She'd sent a check for $1,000. July is paid for. That is a miracle of God. That is grace upon grace upon grace. I didn't sell anything. All I did was invite men and women who were moved by the Spirit to do what the Spirit called them to do. The Lord is so gracious. And he specializes in garbage redemption. And he makes something beautiful out of us. He reached down to the bottom of the barrel and he grabbed a hold of my life. And he said, you know what? I can, I can change this person and I can use them for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can transform him. I can make him into a new creature. I can take away his sin. I can wash him clean. His heart can be filled with joy. And he can share that then with others. Oh, how I praise Jesus. How I love him. I owe everything to Jesus. But come, let's come back to the scripture. Do we have time? Oh, we're running out of time. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifestations, that is, they show up. And what shows up? Adultery? Fornication? Uncleanness? Indecency? In other words, pornography? Perversion? Shacked up with somebody you're not married to and you think you're a Christian? No, you've got one foot on that slippery slope and you best take it off. You're going to slide into that abyss and you cannot be saved. Idolatry, which is putting something ahead of God. How many times have you put the Olympics ahead of God? How many times have you put the bicycle race or the football, the basketball, the baseball... How many times have you put that in front of Christ? You'd rather watch and waste your time than pray and read the scriptures or minister to others or take a walk and meditate or prayer walk. Your foot is on that slippery slope. Witchcraft. Witchcraft is positive affirmations. The church is full of witchcraft today. If you want that Rolls Royce, put a picture of it up on your refrigerator and confess every day that that Rolls Royce belongs to you. That's witchcraft. That you can manipulate through positive affirmation the spiritual realm and make it produce for you what you want. That's witchcraft 101. Hatred, discord, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, Strife, dissensions, false teachings, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and things similar to these. 
which things I told you before, even as I said before, that the ones practicing such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control, against such things there's no law. In fact, the ones who are of Christ crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, very quickly, I'm going to the last passage of Scripture. 1 John, the second chapter, verse 15. You must not love the world, neither the things in the world. If anyone may love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because every conceivable thing which is in the world, the craving of your natural man, the craving of what you want that you lust after, the lust of the flesh is to be pampered, to be privileged. The lust of the eyes, everything you want, you desire to please the flesh and the conceit of life, everything that you own, how great you are, how good you are, you're number one, is not out of the Father, but is out of the world. Now let me get right to the heart of the message for today. If you've heard nothing else, hear this. If you're going to pay the price for the anointing of God in your life. You are going to have to test everything you do or want by testing the spirits, as it says in this book of 1 John. The way you test it is you say, is this of Jesus or is this of the world? And remember the world is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the Christian who is walking in the Spirit has first and foremost in their heart the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And everything I do in my flesh, in my physical body, not the flesh, the wicked nature, but in my body, in my mind, in my heart, everything must be focused on is this flowing out of the heart of Jesus? When I go to this job, am I going with the heart of Jesus? Or am I going to make money? Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be given to you. So am I talking to this person out of the lust of my flesh, because I want to seduce them? Am I talking to this man in such a way, or this woman in such a way, to get from them what I want for me? Am I manipulating? Am I pleasing? Or am I being honest and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? 
you do not have the ability to walk righteously before God in any kind of human ability. All righteousness comes to us by way of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ. The word righteousness just means holy, to be made holy. It means innocent, without sin. So the great challenge today is, are you eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? I can tell you now that that television is from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There are some very good programs. I love the nature shows. I love other things. I have a natural interest in such things. But do they flow from the heart of Jesus? If you look at that nature as the second book of Scripture and you are looking for the glory of God, that's one thing. If you're looking to see the lions fight, that's a whole different book. If in your heart you desire violence and and you want to see the good guys win and the bad guys lose, and so you do that with television, you do that with movies, you do that with the animal kingdom, because you're the good guy and you want to see everybody else put down, what are you doing? You're putting your foot on that slippery slope. I confess I used to love to go to the action movies. I don't anymore. Because I asked Jesus to remove from my heart my love for violence and my love for winning over somebody else. I don't want to win over somebody else. I want to lift somebody else up to Jesus. Do you hear the cry of my heart today? You know, I just... I'm so tired of this world. My heart is sickened by this world. My heart is broken by this world. Much of what we see is filled with indecent lust, indecent pictures. It's impossible to look at television without seeing ads that are utterly indecent. It's impossible to go on the Internet and not run into absolutely indecent things. Job made a covenant with his eyes that he would not look upon that which was unclean in a woman. Same goes for a man and a woman. You see, this is a narrow walk. This is a walk to heaven. And as we're on this journey, all that truly matters is that I bring my family, my wife, my husband, my children. I bring those I love. I bring my enemies. I bring them to the foot of the cross. If you're married, your responsibility is first and foremost to make sure that your spouse gets to heaven and then that your children get there. It means your whole life is focused in reading the scriptures, not watching the television.
I don't go to the scriptures to get information that I can store up so that I can give everybody the right answer. I go to the scriptures to meet my Lord and my Savior. I go there to learn about Jesus in a personal experience with him. And you know what? When I go to the scriptures, he walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me I am his own. But he doesn't just stay in the Bible. He also comes in visions and dreams. He comes in very specific words of direction and rebuke to my heart. He is a wonderful Savior. He is Jesus, my Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying to you today? If we come and ask for the anointing of God in our hearts, if we come and ask him for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're going to have to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. If we're walking according to the flesh in any area, that baptism of the Holy Spirit will not come to us. Yes, you may speak in tongues, but that's not the fullness of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want the anointing that brings the power to deliver the sinner from their wickedness. I want the power that delivers an alcoholic from his addiction. It is a demonic stronghold in his life or her life. I don't want to see them have to go to AA for the rest of their lives and say, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. Now, when the power of Jesus comes, there's full regeneration and you're no longer an alcoholic. I want the joy of seeing the sick healed and of the lost saved. But that means we must know that the world is passing away and the lust of the world is passing away. And we must know that we are called and invited to pass out of this world into the eons, into the eons, the endless eons of time to be one with Jesus, to serve him and love him and praise him and walk with him as his bride. That's what I live for. So I live to be one with Jesus and I live to call you to be one with Jesus. And I know that some of you today are still playing with sin. You get angry. You get bitter. Some of you are living with people you're not married to. Some of you are caught in alcohol, smoking. Some of you are filled with pride. Pride. 
arrogance. Some of you love the entertainment of the world. You love the Redskins. The Redskins are the world. Now, I know they're not the Redskins, but I still think of them that way. I'm an old-timer. If you still think of things as in the world that you enjoy and desire, and they are not flowing out of the heart of Jesus, you're not going to go to heaven. Sin will keep you from this precious Bible, and this precious Bible will keep you from sin. And you must make a decision. Over and over and over, you must make the decision. Oh, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters today that they will be so convicted by this message that they will turn quickly with weeping to you, Jesus, and confess their sin before you and be washed and be made whole. And that those of us who have done that, you will teach us in every way how to walk in the Spirit, to be filled with your anointing, Jesus, please. In the name of Jesus, I ask that you would do this for us. Almighty God, please come with power and authority that we could be a part of what you want to do in this world. Jesus, we need you. I cry aloud for you, Jesus. Would you come? Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. God bless you today. I'm praying for you. I pray the Lord meet you today, that you repent and turn to him. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress today. I'll talk to you soon. I love you.